Several years ago, in fact, it was July of 2013, I preached a message entitled One Another in the Body of Christ. Uh, That message was one in a series of messages that basically dealt with the local church. And as I've stated on many, many occasions, I believe in the local church. Um, There's no greater institution on planet Earth than the church in my mind. My wife and I have given our lives to a local church. I mean, I can remember the greatest memories I have from the time I was born. My earliest remembrances of things that I've grown up doing had been basically involved with church. Um, my whole life has been surrounded with and gathered by and working with churches. I love the church. And especially as, um, I don't know about y'all, if you've ever considered ministry, I tried my hardest to get close to family. It just did not work. Um, I tried early on as, as I graduated from Bible college to get either close to Minnesota where my mom's side was or close to Texas where my wife's family was, and I could never find something. It just did not work. God always put us 20 hours away from anybody that was close to us, and uh, it's just the way it is. And as a result, um, one of the things that happens when you are following God's will is that you end up way away from blood relatives at times, as many of you know that are in the congregation. Um, And another result of that is that, really, my kids become closer to people in the church than their actual blood family. And so the family of church really takes on that much more significance um, for someone like myself or someone in ministry. I love the church. Um, We we bleed the church. Um, I'll fight for her. I'll stand up for her voraciously, as some of you know. Um, I've said for years that if someone's going to cause a problem, they're going to they're have a conversation with me because I will protect it. I will fight for it voraciously. I love the church. Um, I will protect her to the utmost of my ability and do all that I can do to strengthen it as I will stand before God for how I lead it. Um, as such, I believe it necessary to share these principles every so often so that we don't lose sight of the fact that we as a church body are a family. And so when I preached this message back in 2013, I reminded you that God only established three major institutions on earth. He established uh, the family, of course, is the most important, I believe, our families. And he established civil government, and he also established the church. Um, But we understand that uh, each of them have a specific purpose, for which I'm very grateful. And specifically, I'm greatly uh, interested in the institution of the local church, as the local church was and still is commissioned by God to carry out His purposes. And so, to me, the local church is an incredible institution that God blessed, ordained, and uh, has His hand of approval on. And I gave you a basic definition of the local church. Uh, I'm sure if you were to read books on definitions of local churches, you'll find all kinds of definitions. Um, probably truth in a lot of them. Some of them probably not so much. But I gave you a basic definition, which includes some of these things. The local church is a body of saved or regenerated believers who, in obedience to God's word, observe the ordinances, which is baptism and communion, and are led foremost by the Holy Spirit, then called by uh, called pastors and teachers. Furthermore, they have joyously banded together in the unity or the great commandment to love one another uh, to, and to be equipped to carry out God's purposes, the great commission. And so there's lots of things there. We could unpack each one of those little key word phrases, but... Regardless of that, it's a body of local believers who are called of God to to love one another and to specifically be used of God to carry out the Great Commission. I've said many times that without the Great Commandment, we have no Great Commission. And until you're obedient to the Great Commandment, you'll never be obedient to the Great Commission. 
Um, until you learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, obedience to Him doesn't matter. Because He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I think sometimes we have a skewed idea of what love really is. And that's unfortunate because we in the body of Christ ought to understand what love is. So this morning I'd like to, as I went over this message again, as God was laying on my heart what to share this morning, I wonder if we could start the new year or end this year with an idea that I want to start with my commitment to the local body greater than it's ever been before in my life. I wonder if we could have this idea of I'm going to make a commitment to serve God with everything that I have. And it starts with loving one another and taking care of one another in the body of Christ. Because we are a family, right? And uh, so as such, I'm going to give you um, ten ways that we can treat one another in the body. The family of Jesus Christ, you say, good Lord, we're going to be here all day. Ten, ten subjects. Now, these are just a handful that's not exhaustive. I promise you by any stretch of the imagination, it's not exhaustive. There are so many places in Scripture where he uses the phrase, one another. And today I just want to highlight ten of them. I'll try to go quickly, but the first one is the longest one. Um, But I wonder if we might be able to just start with a word of prayer this morning as we kick off this message this morning. Dearly Father, God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to just look at your word. And I pray, God, that you might use it to speak to our hearts and our our minds, Lord. And that we might, um, Lord, really contemplate how we respond to each other in the body of Christ. Um, Lord, we all have an idea of what church is all about. and We all have a different reason, it seems like, for being here. Um, some people are absolutely committed to the body of Christ, and other people do it out of duty or demand or whatever, Lord. But I pray, God, that we might be honest with ourselves this day, that we might truly take a look at our own life, our own involvement, our own commitment to you, Lord, in the local body. And I ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to be honest. So, Lord, be with each one that's here this day, Lord, that we might, uh, Lord, not just be hearers of the word, uh, but, Lord, that we be doers as well, lest we deceive ourselves. So we ask your blessing upon this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to tell you in the first aspect, the first principle that I want to look at this morning, uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. And uh, and I apologize in advance. Matt called in sick this morning, which is the overhead uh, issues that we were having a little bit. Thank you, Oliver, for stepping in. I appreciate that. And uh, so Matt was sick, and Matt normally puts the scriptures up there, so you're going to have to do some homework this morning and uh, some hard work and flip there. And I know I have a tendency to go a little bit fast once in a while. And you know, my wife used to have this little thing that she'd go like this, like the horses rein it in, slow it down a little bit. Um, and then there's Jake who's sending me a text, Dad, slow down. Um Got ten points, so just just bear with me here now. Um, so the first one is to love one another. As I said, as we got started here, everyone has an idea of what church is all about. But the very first thing I want to look at this morning is the idea of how we love one another in the body of Christ. Um, I've been coming to church for as long as I can remember. I was that three-year-old snotty-nosed bus kid that, you know, a guy came knocked on our door every Saturday for six weeks in a row. And my mom finally said, take him, get out of here, just stop knocking on our doors. You know, and, you know. As a result of it, my whole family was led back to the Lord and led to the Lord. And, and as a result, we went to church every week. But the, my earliest remembers revolved around church. And I'm telling you what, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in churches. If you've been in churches any amount of time, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, uh, for, but for the most part, I've seen good. I've seen some great things that God has done through the local body. And I think as a result of that, I think it starts with how we love one another in the body of Christ. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to begin with verse 9 and uh, look at a couple of verses here. But the first principle I want to look at this morning is love one another. 
Verse 9 says, about brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more. And you think about this just for a moment. The first thing he says is to love one another. He goes, I don't need to tell you how to do this. We know what it is. Would you agree with me this morning that it's oftentimes we know far more than what we practice? He said, I don't have to tell you what it is. You know what to do. He says, you've been taught by God to do this. But do we do it? There's a big gap sometimes between what we know we're supposed to do and what we're actually doing. Do we love one another? I've said many times over the years that my simple definition of love is uh, doing something for someone else without expecting anything in return. Because love without action is just nothing. I can say that I love someone, but there's no action to back it up. It's nothing. So the idea of love is that it produces an action. It doesn't expect anything in return. So when we come to church, do we love one another as God has taught us to love one another? And then he doesn't just say, you know, just love. He says, do it even more. I wonder if there are ways that, and I'm thinking through this as I'm putting this message together again. Are there ways that we could teach each other to love even greater than we already do? By our actions, by our attitudes, by our thoughts, by our, by our deeds. Can we improve in this area of loving one another? And I believe that part of this is that we have a testimony to uphold. Um, as I read this verse about brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And he says, I see it in part throughout the region. But I'm challenging you to do it even more, he says. I wonder, do we love as God would have us to love when it comes to this? <clears throat> Over a few pages, First Peter chapter 1. I told you we'd be jumping around just a little bit, and I won't, I won't disappoint you with that. First Peter chapter 1 verse 22 says this, By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another, what's that next word? Earnestly. Do we love one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, earnestly? I mean, not just showing up and saying, hey, how you doing? Great, pat answer, wonderful, hope you had a great week, Merry Christmas, blah, 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 blah. I, I'm talking about, do we love one another earnestly? That's a hard question to answer sometimes, because I think all of us have those certain people that we gravitate to, certain people that we want to expose ourselves to, and our weaknesses to, and our strengths to, and we want to encourage. But generally speaking, do we love earnestly all the brothers in the body of Christ? And it says, from a pure heart, uh, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So he says, do this out of a pure heart. Not because I'm supposed to, because, well, I'm a child of God, so I have to love one another, but from a pure heart. Do I come in here and I have a genuine love for those that I see? That's a little more difficult at times, isn't it? I think it is. I'll be honest. Because sometimes we just don't feel like loving people. I'll tell my wife sometimes once in a while, and I said, I know after I've ticked her off, I said, I know you love me, but do you like me? I mean, she has to love me. I'm her husband. I think. I hope. Yeah, she, she has to love me. Uh, but she may not always like me. And I think that's kind of how we do in church sometimes. I love you because I have to, but I don't really like you. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In other words, there's no hypocrisy involved. We love purely. Uh, how about First Peter chapter 4, verse 8, over just the page? I love this verse. Uh, it says, above all, maintain an intense love 
for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Think about that word intense. We know what intensity is. Watch an athlete who really wants to win the, uh, the sport that he's participating in. Uh, watch a weightlifter as he goes down there and he deadlifts over 500 pounds. I mean, that's intense. Feel like, you know, every blood vessel in his face is going to burst at any moment and blood's just going to go, I mean, it's just, it's intense. Right? Watch somebody who's been racing, you know, for several hundred yards and they get done and their, 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 their veins are just popping and it's, it's intense. We know what intensity is. It's not half-heartedness. It's not sheepishly. It's not in a weak way. It's with everything you got. Intensely love one another. How about First John chapter 3? Go over there just for a moment. First John chapter 3, and beginning with verse 11, says this. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life re- re- uh, residing in him. There are observable, lo- observable love gives credence to our claim of knowing Jesus Christ. I can't say that I love my brothers and then treat them like the world. And hate them. He said, because love, hating really is the equivalent of murder. So I can't come into the body of Christ. It says brothers, right? So if I come into the body of Christ and I don't have love for them, it's, it's no different than hating, which is murder. So true love, biblical love, authentic love gives credence to the claims that we know Jesus Christ. Down in verse 23, it says this. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and have love and love one another as he has commanded us. Do we have that kind of love? Go over just the page of chapter four, verse seven. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves his loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love and God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. Now ask ask yourself this question. How did God love? God loved us in the way that He sacrificed His only Son. Should not our love consist of sacrifice as well? Say, I'm not asking you to go out and kill yourselves for someone. I'm asking you to give a a living sacrifice of love. What would we see in someone else that says, hey, I can, uh, I can help with that? When someone else has a need, do you say, I, 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 some way, there's, there's gotta be a way that I can address that. There's gotta be some way that I can influence and, and encourage and uplift those who are struggling. I will sacrifice my time, my energy, my efforts to love that person. I don't know about that. that. That's hard sometimes. Who's not busy? Raise your hand. You got nothing to do in life. That's exactly what I thought. I mean, who, who doesn't have a to-do list or a honey-do list or whatever, personal list that you're trying to get done? I find that when I'm called to love someone in a form of an action, it's usually at an inconvenient time. I don't know about you, but I've said this many times. I'll be getting ready to do something and all of a sudden... So-and-so will call. And I'm like, 
But I want to do this. But they need help now. I know, but I really just don't want to help them right now. I want to do this. And know what it requires on my part? Sacrifice. Obedience. I've just wanted to say for years that if God lays someone on my heart, there's a reason why God's laying them on my heart. If, bring, if God's bringing them to my memory, there's a reason why God's bringing them to my memory. And I've found out over the years that if I respond to that still small voice, that name that God brings to my attention, puts in my heart, puts on my mind, there's usually a reason why he does that. And usually it requires me to say, I'll stop what I'm doing and do what you want me to do because I love them. Romans chapter 12. There's another one that kind of stretches us from time to time. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It says, Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wow, love without hypocrisy. We kind of touched on that a little bit in the earlier one. But love shouldn't be hypocritical. You know, it's, it's that person that when you come to church and say, Hey, how's it going? Good to see you again. And you go home and say, He's such a jerk. He irritates the fire out of me. I know you've never done that before. I know, right? You've never done that. Maybe, maybe you have. But it's without hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy is? Let me give you just a simple definition. It means putting on a mask. He has the idea that when someone is acting, they're in a play, they're in a movie, they're doing a, they're reading a script, they're acting out a script, and while they are in the play, they have a mask on. They are pretending to be something that they are not or someone that they are not. But there comes a time when the play is over, the skit is done, and the mask comes off, the costume comes off, and that's who you really are. You see, we see it all the time on TV. Perfect lives. Wealthy lives, people who have it all together. And you think that if I just kind of believe what I see on TV all the time, this is awesome. I mean, who wouldn't want this, right? I mean, how many of you woke up with a red boat brand new car on your, in your driveway? I mean, right? Your Lexus Christmas to remember. Take the mask off. That's who we really are. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the last one I want to look at in this subject. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, says this, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. How do we promote love? How do we promote it? It says, let us be concerned one another to one another to promote love. How do we do that? It starts by saying, hey, I'm going to look for someone who needs it. I'm going to look for someone who needs encouragement. I'm going to look for someone who might be struggling. I'm going to look for someone that might be uh, discouraged and see what I can do to encourage them. I'm going to promote it. I'm going to exemplify it. If no one else does it, I'm still going to do it. We're going to love one another. I don't know about you, but that doesn't come natural to a lot of people. It doesn't come natural to a lot of us. And it's not because we don't not want it. We just don't plan to do it because we're so busy. There's so much going on. You say, well, pastor, is this a problem in our church? Do we not love one another here at Harvest? Well, no, that's not necessarily the reason why I'm sharing that this morning. 
This is a reminder to all of us as to how we should love one another in the church family. As we start another year, I want us to consider how we might ramp this up a little bit more. To love one another, to encourage one another, to lift each other up. There are a lot of things that happen on any given day in the world that we live in that we would not choose, but are called to endure. Things that break our heart, things that discourage us, things that we don't like. But we ought to be able to come to church and find authentic love from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Selfless, authentic love ought to be here. This should not be a place of fighting. And I'm not saying that it is, because it really isn't. I'm thankful for that. Um, I hear of other pastors who have four or five hour business meetings and you know brawls are both ready to break out. I've never seen that here. I don't know if anybody, just this last summer, I had a pastor friend of mine said he had a fight in the church parking lot. I'm glad I've never had to deal with that. But I know that there are a lot of things that happen in a lot of churches in the name of Christ around the world. But this ought to be a place of love, right? We ought to be able to come here as a place of peace, a shelter in a time of struggle outside these walls because we have biblical love inside these walls. It ought to be here. So, how do we build on this? Well, let's look at another one. Another one another in the in the in the Bible here is honor one another. Number two, honor one another. In Romans chapter twelve, in verse ten, we started to read that one. It says, "Showing show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor one another." You've heard me say this before, but what is the definition of honor? It means to give value to. It means to establish a worth to. So in other words, when I honor somebody, it means that I value what they have to say. I honor them by valuing, establishing a worth to what they say. I've used it many times, but a pen. I like pens. You know that anybody that knows me knows I'm a pen freak. I like pens. I hate cheap pens. I don't like cheap pens. I like nice pens. It's just the truth. I don't like cheap pens. But if you say, I want this pen, I'll tell you what. I'll sell it to you. $100. It's yours. $100. Well, you say, well, Pastor Ken, that thing's not worth but, you know, $13.99 at Staples. Right. You can go to Staples and get your own $13.99 pen. But if you want this one, it's going to cost you $100. Why? Because it's worth that much to me. I mean, not every Staples carries this one. Some Staples carry it, but this one is is mine. Why? Because I established a value to it. Now you say, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It's kind of ridiculous, really. But it's that's what it means to honor. It means to give value to, to establish a worth to. So, teenagers, young adults, when your parents say something, and God's Word says to honor your father and mother, it means to give worth. Give value to what they are saying. Why? Because they have wisdom. They have years of experience. They have some trials that they've gone through that you can learn from. It's the idea of establishing value. And what they say is valuable to you. What they're teaching is valuable to you. But not just from our parents, but to one another. When so-and-so says to me, Hey, pastor, have you ever thought about... I don't just dismiss it and say, well, that's stupid. I've done that before. That's crazy. That's dumb. I say, let me think through this because there may be something I can learn from this. I'm going to give weight to what you say. I'm going to give value to what you say because what you say means something. 
That's how we honor one another in the body of Christ. I think all of us, one time or another, has had that person say, well, Pastor, I think you should. And I'm like, ugh. We roll our eyes, pretend we didn't hear it, walk away. Before you say something, you shouldn't. And you really don't honor. Honor means to give value to. To establish worth. Number three. Here's one that's kind of hard sometimes. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says this. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Be in agreement. You know what the word agreement means? It means harmony. It means unity. Does that mean that every time someone comes to me and says, Pastor, I think you should do this, that we should just automatically do it? No. That's not what it means. To be in agreement means that means that there's harmony. Think of it this way. Music. Music typically has three or four parts. Soprano, alto, tenor, bass. Sometimes other secondary lines, thirdary lines, whatever. Ter- tertiary. I don't know what that word is. I'm not smart enough for that. So, all these parts. You know what I find? That is sometimes if all you were to do is stand up here and sing the bass line without the melody line, guess what it would sound like? Not too good. That's where kind of probably scripture says make a joyful noise. It's just a noise. Right? But what happens when you add the bass with the alto and the tenor and the soprano? Now there's harmony. And all of a sudden that bass line becomes very important, doesn't it? To produce the harmony. When we're in agreement with one another, you know, it's not just saying, well, this person said this, so I have to do that. But it's giving weight to what they say. And honoring what they say. But at the same time, let's put that together with this and this. And maybe we can put, come together and come to the solution that we need. We're in unity. We're in harmony. We're working together to do what? To bring glory to God and do what he has asked us to do. So it's not just about one person having their way. If all you had is a tenor line. If all you had was a soprano line. Okay, it doesn't work with the melody and alto sometimes. I get it. But putting them together... You get the harmony. So when I take into consideration what Chad says and what uh, Don Bovard says and what Don says and we, we think together, we put these thoughts together, guess what? We can move forward. It's not one person saying, I get my way or else. So he says to agree one another. It says the same thing in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. It says this. Now may God, the God who gives endurance and encouragement, allow you to live in harmony with one another. How do we live in harmony? How do we avoid selfishness rather than being selfless? Well, he gives us the answer. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony. You can't do it apart from God. See, apart from God, we're selfish. We're filled full of the flesh. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God the Father working in us. Then it says, verse 6, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. When God is working in our midst, we can go forward in unity, in harmony, togetherness. Number four, accept one another. Accept one another. Uh, In Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says, therefore accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. Accept one another. One another. Do you accept one another? I know that there are certain churches that certain people are not allowed to be in. I've heard those stories. And so, unfortunately, some of you have been in those situations. Where you were there and nobody talked to you, nobody greeted you, nobody 
gave you the right hand of fellowship. In fact, maybe even you were asked to leave for whatever reason. It says to accept one another. In Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says, and in the word accept, it literally means to be one's command, companion. As I was studying this out this week, here's an interesting thing. In being someone's companion, that means you have to what? Draw close. You don't know so-and-so? Draw close to them. Make them your friend. It literally means, I thought this was really cool, to take by the hand. To accept someone means to literally take them by the hand. It's not just say, hey, I'll meet you over there. It's like, here, let me take you with me. That's literally what it means to accept someone. To receive in one's home. And here's the last one that I saw in one of the commentaries I read. That word accept means to grant access to one's heart. When's the last time you let anybody that close to you? You say, Pastor, I'm not going to do that. They hurt me one too many times. And your point is, because if you've been in church at all in your lifetime, someone's going to hurt your heart. But it's not about me. And by the way, it says earlier that love covers a multitude of sins. Remember that one? We read that earlier, just in case you forgot. People are going to hurt you. That's life, because none of us are perfect. When's the last time we granted access to our heart to someone? Because we accepted them. That's kind of hard sometimes. Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 2. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. Does it take love? Yeah, it does. And it does take humility and gentleness and patience to accept someone else. Because, you know, you have to make yourself vulnerable once in a while. And they're going to hurt you sometimes. But God's Word says to do it. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3, and verse 13. It says, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. But accepting one another, which give, brings us into another one. Number five, lift or build up one another. Uh, if you would turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. I want to again read from verse 13. It says, therefore, let us no longer criticize one another. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, this is what it says, not to criticize one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. I know I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, if someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. As we think about this, are we willing to lift up one another? Are we willing to build up one another? Do we consider how our actions or reactions affect others? I realize the principle found in here, not eating meat offered to idols because it's going to tick somebody off. And I look at it as steak, man. I love steak. It might be your burnt offering, but it's my steak. And A1 in steak is pretty good. But if it offends and causes you to stumble, do we just answer this question? Do we consider in the body of Christ how our actions and reactions 
affect others. Sometimes you walk in like a bull in a china closet and say, this is what we're going to do and I don't care who doesn't like it. This is what we are. And you're one out of a hundred. Think about the other 99, what they're thinking that you're craziness. Where's the harmony? Where's the love? Where's the encouraging of one another? Do we consider how our actions and reactions affect others? Number six. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Over a few pages. Galatians chapter 6. It's a familiar one. Verse 2. No, that ain't the right one. Oh, I'm in Ephesians. No wonder. Galatians chapter 6. There we go. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. You know what the word carry is? It's a verb. And by the way, I'm not an English instructor, so I won't pretend to be that. But it's an action verb. It has the idea of picking up with your hands to support one another. Um, I'm thankful for the body of Christ in this way. I grew up in a home where my dad was handicapped. Um, my dad had 15 back operations um, over the years. Most of my elementary years, my dad was in the hospital. Uh, typical day was getting up, going to the hospital, visit dad, go to school, come back after school, visit dad, go home, do homework, eat dinner, whatever, run up to the hospital, see dad before you went to bed, before we went to bed, and then go, go back home. It was a crazy elementary life that I lived. But what I saw from my home church was that they helped pick up the burdens. It was not easy. I had a couple of what I called honorary dads that just loved me because my dad wasn't available to do a lot of the stuff that I wanted to do or could should have done. Never played football with my dad. Never went downhill skiing with dad. Never played catch. Dad couldn't do those things. But there were people in the church that when there was a father-son retreat knowing that my dad couldn't go, they'd say, hey, Mr. Todd, can I take 10 with me? I love that. They picked up the burdens. They supported our family. They stepped in in times of need. That's what we ought to be in the body of Christ. Looking to where we can encourage one another, support one another, bear one another's burdens. I've said many times that empathy without action is just, or compassion without action is just empathy. Compassion has to have action. I can say, well, I know there's a need, but if I don't do anything about it. And God's Word says we should be that person to those in the body of Christ. Let's move on so we can get done here. Number seven. Forgive one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says this. And be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Kind of mentally, indivisibly raise your hand if anybody in the church has ever hurt you before. Yeah, every hand's up. I can see him. No, not really. I can see him because I've been there. You've been there. We've all been there. Are you willing to forgive them as Christ forgave you? Or are you going to hold a grudge? Let me ask this question. Is there somebody that you're holding a grudge against right now? 
I mean, when they come into the church, you see them sit over there, so you're going over there. I don't know if there is or not, but you know. I mean, so-and-so asked to borrow something from me, and they never gave it back. I've been there a hundred times, trust me. I got a, I got a, a, a communal garage back here that things just disappear. I don't know where they go, and I know I blame my kids, but I'm sure that's not always always the problem. It's a community building; things disappear. So and so, I saw it at their house. I know they got it. No, do we forgive or do we hold grudges? Because it says to forgive one another. Look at all these one another's in the body of Christ. Forgive one another. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, just as the Lord has forgiven you, we have to forgive. What has God forgiven you of? It's a loaded question. In the same way we forgive one another. Number eight, submit to one another. Ooh. Uh-uh, not doing that. Ephesians 5, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. You know what the word submit means? It literally means to come underneath someone. To yield my control to oneself. I yield my control because I don't have to have my way. It's not the idea of being a doormat. It's not the idea of saying, I don't have a voice. It's not the idea of saying, well, I don't get to do what I feel that God's telling me to do. It's the idea of saying, I don't have to have my way. I don't have to be right all the time. I'm willing to submit myself. I'm willing to come underneath another person. That's what it means to submit. And in 1 Peter, chapter 5, and verse 5, it says, In the same way, you younger men be subject to the elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Hmm. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How about of us as younger men submitting to older men? Teenagers, young adults, young guys? He says, to submit. Put yourself underneath them. Two more. Number nine. Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three and verse sixteen. It says, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So number nine, teach and admonish one another. Um, and here's what I found studying this word out this week in the Greek. It's really interesting to me. It has the idea of not only warning and exhorting, but it has the idea of cautioning or reproving Gently. It's not that bull in the china closet saying, Hey, this is what we're going to do. I don't care if you don't like it. You're going to do it. That's totally opposite of what it's saying here. It's the idea of a warning and exhorting, but to reprove or to rebuke gently. Gently. I think we can couple that with what it says in Proverbs 16. A soft answer turns away what? Wrath. Let, let me teach you something real quick here. Maybe you've heard this before. When we accuse somebody of something, what do they naturally do? Get defensive. I mean, I'm going to fight even if I'm half wrong. I might be half right, and I'm going to stand for that half that I know I'm right. In every bit of criticism, there is an element of truth. 
But that one-tenth that's true, I don't want to deal with. It's the other nine-tenths I know they're wrong. Right? So when we teach and admonish one another, it has the idea of gently cautioning, gently reproving. Let me teach you this. Accusations harden the will. Questions probe the conscience. Something I learned in college years ago by one of my professors. Accusations harden the will. As soon as someone accuses you of anything, whether it's true or not, it's irrelevant. We get on guard, don't we? We want to defend ourselves to to the end. Accusations harden the will. Questions probe the conscience. Ask questions. How many arguments could be avoided if we would just learn to ask questions? I'm guilty. I have an assumption. I'm going in there with a presupposed situation that I think I'm right. And I may be all wrong. So I went in there with an accusatory spirit and irritated the fire out of everybody if I would have just asked a simple question. I'm guilty. Maybe you are as well. Accusations harden the will. Questions probe the conscience. So to teach and admonish one another, to warn or exalt, but to caution or reprove gently. And then number 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18. It says this, Therefore encourage one another with these words. Um, Concerning Christ's coming, Chapter 5, verse 11 says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. You know, we don't know when we're going to leave this earth. I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and says, Woo! Going to leave the earth today. Doesn't happen that way. People die every day they didn't expect to die. Accidents take place every day that nobody planned for. We don't know when we're going to die. In fact... Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't know. And Hebrews 9 says that after that, we're going to face the judgment. So, he's talking about the coming of Christ. Encourage one another with these words. Christ is going to come one day. The question is, will you be ready? He just gives us ten examples in Scripture of how we're to treat one another in the body of Christ. Love one another, honor one another, agree with one another, accept one another, lift and build up one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, submit to one another, teach and admonish one another, but also to encourage one another as we know that this life is going to end. Will we be faithful till God calls us home? Will we be faithful to do what God has called us to do? Will we be faithful to be what God has called us to be until He comes? I would love to see that within our body. And I see a lot of these things. Maybe you do too. I hope you do. But ask yourself the question, which one of these things might you need to work on? Do you love as you ought? Do you honor as you ought? Do you agree with one another as you ought? Or are you selfish? You've got to have your way. Do you accept one another? Do you lift and build each other up? Do you carry one another's burdens, lift each other's burdens? Do you forgive one another? Do you encourage one another, submit to one another, teach and admonish one another? Encourage one another. You know, all of us have this moment in time. 
In fact, on the timeline of eternity, you're just a little speck on the line. All of us are. I've said this many times. It says what? You know, you're not your life is but a vapor. James four. Second Chronicles talks about our life being as a shadow. Psalm talks about our life being as but dust. First Peter talks about our life just being but a flower that fades and withers. So many analogies of what our life is compared compared to. And the bottom line is, it's just a little speck on the timeline of eternity. And this speck that God has given us in the body of Christ is an important speck. It's an important idea of how we're to treat one another in the body of Christ. Ask yourself, where does God want you to improve in our relationships with one another? And then be willing to do it. Let's pray.